You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. And welcome to Growth University. We're glad you're here tonight. Looking forward to a great time in God's Word and you're joining us online, we welcome you as well to the Calvary Church and trusting that uh, what is shared tonight will bring strength to you. Before we get started, I would like to just uh, briefly make a few quick announcements. And uh, first off, thank you to everyone who participated, signed up, was a part of our Super Team Sunday. We had just a great time on Sunday, and if you have not had a chance to sign up for a ministry team, I encourage you to uh, do that and look for an opportunity to uh, be involved and serve uh, what God is doing through the Calvary Church. It's a great uh, blessing tonight to uh, have with us back from the South, Sister Beverly Langford. Are you glad to have Sister Bev back? at the Calvary Church, and uh, we love her and just appreciate everything that she means to us, and um, just wonderful to have you, Sister Bev, and, and uh, we're thankful for you. want to also make you aware of uh, something that is going to be going on over the la- next number of months uh, on Friday night, You've on Friday nights over the next couple months, and it's... Uh, You've heard of Purpose Institute. We have two campuses, actually, of Purpose Institute here at our church. The first is our English-speaking campus, and then we have a Spanish-speaking campus, and that happens once a month uh, where uh, students enroll and are a part of ongoing ministry training and development, leadership development. And if you have not went through Purpose Institute, I encourage you to make that a part of your goal uh, while you're here and develop your, your ministry uh, skills as well as leadership and just biblical knowledge. It's a tremendous program and uh, we have teachers from uh, this region, different pastors, leaders that teach and I encourage you to be a part of that. But for the next couple months, on the Friday night, it's usually a Friday and Saturday, there's four courses offered in a in a semester, on the Friday nights in February, March, and April, we're opening it up for anybody to join that session, and it's a, we're calling it kind of like a leadership master class, and uh, we invite you, if you want to hear from any of these speakers, of course, if you want to just hear what uh, they had to say on the topic of leadership, we invite you to be a part of that. Or if you're interested in looking at what P- Purpose Institute is like, you can come to those courses or those, these particular classes for free. Uh, you don't have to be enrolled in Purpose Institute to attend, but I wanted to let you know about that. You're welcome to attend those this uh, next Friday, February 24th. We have Reverend Debbie Size, who her and her husband pastor in uh, California. And she's going to be with us uh, that weekend. And then Pastor Urshan, Joel Urshan, is going to be speaking in March, March 17th on Friday night. 
uh, and then Pastor Eric Foster from Canton, Ohio in April. And so, uh, again, just opening that up to you, you should see this in our weekly newsletter. You'll see this promoted there. If you have any questions, see me. I can answer those for you. But I just wanted to make sure you were aware of this. You're more than welcome to be a part of this, whether or not you're enrolled in Purpose Institute. If you're not enrolled in Purpose Institute, you will not get credit for attending these classes. Uh, so if you were to go into Purpose Institute later on, uh, th this would not be credited to you for just attending, but I did want to open it up to you. Also, this coming Sunday, we have uh, uh, kind of a new ministry. We've had it in the past, but we're relaunching our hyphen ministry here, uh, which hyphen is just um, termed by the, used by the United Pentecostal Church to really target the 18 to 35 demographic who are single. And so we're going to be launching that Sunday after church. So if you know somebody in that demographic, 18 to 35 and single, uh, make sure you let them know about that. We did send out communication this week to them, but uh, we wanted to make sure you knew that as well. And then the end of February, I'm excited to be uh, launching our life groups for this semester. And uh, that's just going to be a tremendous time. We've got several new life groups that are going to be starting. And I encourage you to be a part of those. Those are just tremendous ways to connect with uh, just people that come to church and those who are outside of our church. Want to pray tonight. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want us to pray together that God's word would find good ground. I would guess tonight, if you're here or you're watching online, you've probably already had a pretty long week. You may have had a long day. And uh, you're a part of this tonight. And I'm praying that you would find rest in the Word of God. And uh, it takes spiritual discipline. It takes discipline to be in church on Wednesday nights and midweek. And I don't take it for granted that you're sitting here tonight. And I'm believing that God's Word is going to touch you. I've been so inspired uh, the last week. Uh, it was really started on Wednesday. You've probably heard about the Asbury College revival that's going on. And pretty much nonstop since last Wednesday, uh, people have been gathered down in Lexington, Kentucky at the Asbury Revival uh, or Asbury College in their chapels and um, just seeking the Lord, singing, worshiping, hearing God's word. And uh, it's very, very inspiring to see that. And I've had different people ask me about it or talk to me about it. And uh, I know this, that when people seek the Lord, they'll find the Lord. And if people are hungry for the Lord, God will meet them. And that's inspiring for me to know and for you to know that I don't necessarily have to be at Asbury College but I can be here, I can be in my home, and if I'm seeking the Lord, if I find myself in prayer and I find myself in worship, God will meet me there. And I'm praying that uh, as that revival continues, whatever that looks like, that uh, it would inspire all of us to hunger after God. I don't, you know, a lot of them are college students and 
Maybe they're looking for a way to get out of college. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. But they, no, I, I, in all seriousness, I know they're reaching for God, and God has been touching, God's ministering, and, and uh, I, I'm thankful for that. And so I pray that tonight our hearts would be hungry to hear God's word and that it would uh, be rest for our souls. It would be meaningful for us tonight. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I invite you to just pray with me tonight and ask the Lord to uh, just speak to our hearts through his word. God, we love you today. We are thankful, Lord, for your presence. I'm thankful, Lord, for just the hunger we are seeing rising up. That's God catching the attention of so many, God, in our world. And I'm praying that, Lord, tonight as we are here, we've made the effort. We've put in the discipline to pause everything that we have going on, so many other things, Lord, that could grab our attention, but we're pausing tonight, God, to say, speak to us through your word. Lord, we want to know what you want for us. God, our hearts are hungry for you. I pray you would just let us feel your touch tonight. Let us experience the wonder of your presence through your word. We worship you tonight. We worship you, God, with our hearts, with our lives tonight. We give you praise. We give you glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look into the word of the Lord, and, and uh, we're using a resource to uh, work through this series by Dr. Tony Evans called um, The Power of God's Names. And what we've looked at is through Scripture, through the uh, Old Testament and beyond, God reveals himself and aspects of himself through his names. And so uh, Pastor Kristen really opened this series walking through foundational names that God uses as Elohim, Jehovah, and Adonai. All of these uh, represent uh, aspects of God that are important and vital uh, to us. And so we are looking at tonight a few other names and and uh, Sister Julie McGahey uh, mentioned to us as well about Abba Father, the name Abba Father and what it can represent in our lives of him being our father. We looked at Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah uh, Savah, the Lord our warrior, Jehovah Jireh our provider. We looked at the Lord our peace, the Lord our banner, the Lord last week we talked about the Lord our shepherd, or my shepherd, I should say, and then finally, the Lord who sanctifies. And each of these names represent an aspect of God. We're not saying that there's multiple gods, so I I hope that that's clear. But we're saying that God will sometimes uh, really work in a very specific way, and we see that in the Old Testament. Dr. Tony Evans tells a story about his dad that uh, I, I found interesting. He went and he visited his dad in Baltimore, Maryland. His dad was sick, and so he went there to see him. And he asked his dad if he had been to the doctor. And his dad said, yes, I have been to the doctor. And, and Dr. Evans said, well, then what, what did the doctor say to you? And his dad gave a, a very detailed response of, all the ways that the doctor had described his condition and all the things that he should do to take care of the issues and the, the diagnosis and what 
was supposed to happen. To which uh, Dr. Evans then said, well, is that what you're going to do? Are you going to do what he asked you to do? His dad replied, no, I'm not going to do that. Anybody been there? No, I'm not, I'm not going to do what he said he thought I should do. So Dr. Evans said then, well, what, what are you going to do? Dad replied, I'm changing doctors. <laughs> and I thought about that. You've probably been there yourself. I'm just going to change the doctor and hope for a different diagnosis. And we find kind of that, that mindset in the children of Israel and the first name we're going to look at tonight. They had changed authorities in their life. The children of Israel had begun to follow other gods and they were living their life in a way that wasn't obedient to what God had planned and God had prescribed for them. And it's in this context that a prophet rises up amongst Israel and his name is Jeremiah. And this prophet reveals the name of God we're going to look at to them in this state. And the name is Jehovah Sidkenu, or the Lord our righteousness. And some say that Jeremiah is one of the most discouraging books in the Bible. I don't know if that's true, but uh, if you're in a low time in your life, you might not want to read the book of Jeremiah. But one of the reasons that the book of Jeremiah is considered depressing is it chronicles a time in history of God's people where Judah, was the southern kingdom, was wandering from God and they were experiencing a decline. Israel, the northern kingdom, had long since departed from God and they were, had been deported and uh, taken captive by the Assyrians. And so now the only remaining people of God is this southern kingdom and they're also about to lose uh, their freedom to the Babylonians and they had turned away from God. So Jeremiah the prophet is rising in the midst of this time period. And here we find that common truth that you and I experience in our life or have experienced that when we stop being obedient to God's word in our lives, we become distant from the creator in our life. And when we find ourselves distant from the creator in our life, we are vulnerable to a state of captivity, spiritual captivity. Because we understand that God is the creator of life. And so when we distance ourselves from the creator, we lose the capacity for true spiritual life. And so the Israelites had departed from following the one true God of the Bible. And God raises this prophet Jeremiah. And in his prophecy, he addresses the issues caused not just by the people, but in particular, he addresses the leadership of Israel. And we're going to look at that, Jeremiah chapter 23. 
Now, it's interesting to me, since last week we talked about the Lord is my shepherd, it's Psalms chapter what? 23, thank you. Psalm 23 is where we find the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, it's Jeremiah 23 that we read about shepherds as well. But here's what it says, Jeremiah 23 verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Now, it sounds like what we read last week, but it wasn't what we read. We read Ezekiel last week. He was talking about wayward shepherds. But it's kind of the same idea. And Jeremiah says, they scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, who have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to him Attended to them, behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. And so the, the prophet is speaking the words of God and he's challenging these leaders. And he's saying, you've allowed the flock of God to be scattered because you have allowed other voices that are not my voice to be in their midst. Let me just point out the obvious, and I think every generation rises up to say it. If you listen to preaching in the 80s, if you listen to preaching in the 60s, you read preaching from the 1800s, you're going to read this, but it's true today as well. This is a challenging time for the church. It's challenging because there are so many voices, there's so much confusion. So many options on how you can live your life and what you can believe and should believe. So many manufactured voices, can I say gods, manufactured gods who will make you feel okay with whatever you're doing. And so we sense this prophetic word for our time as well, that we need spiritual leaders. We need shepherds among us who are willing to keep the flock where they need to be, to help guide the flock into green pastures where it is clear where God is taking them. And so Jeremiah, through uh, God's leadership, is saying that there are shepherds that are needed during these times. And let me tell us today, we need spiritual shepherds in the church. We need spiritual leaders in the church who are not just listening to every minor God and belief that would be out there, but is understanding, thus saith the word of God. And if God says it, then I believe it. And we need spiritual leaders in our homes. Let me just challenge you parents and husbands and wives that we need spiritual leadership. We need a clear sound in our homes that God is the, the authority in our home. Culture's not the authority in our home. The government just isn't telling just because the government allows it doesn't mean that's the authority for what's right and wrong. Money is not the God in our home. We must realize that God must be the center. And in order for that to happen in the home, it takes spiritual leadership. 
It takes somebody who is standing up and saying, this is what God expects and this is what God wants. And we need spiritual leadership on our jobs and in places of influence, places where God's word can find a, a foothold. We need spiritual leadership that leads from a place of grace, truth, and time. We need the grace of God. We need to be gracious. But this is a time where we need truth. And this is a time when we allow God's work to be done, but we need truth in the midst of grace and time. And uh, we need strength in this day. Not just combativeness in the world, not just debate, endless debates, but we need strength. We need leaders. We need people who are willing to lead others. And this scattering of God's people, the wayward leadership had allowed the, this people to scatter and God was calling them back. And he's trying to let them know that the, the shepherds over them had let them go to their own devices. And so it's in this context that we understand the name of God that is revealed in Jeremiah 23, verse 4, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. The day, behold, the days are coming that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. Everyone say a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign. And prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. I, I, I'm going to call them back, but I have to reveal how that's going to happen. And he said, Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Sid canoe. And it's out of this idea of righteousness that I'm going to gather the scattering of the flock. And he combines this name and he proclaims that his righteousness will be established in the midst of a culture that's in chaos. This is pretty compelling because what his, he's saying here is that when God's Righteousness, hear me tonight. When God's righteousness arrives, God's people will dwell in safety. Think about it now. In your home and in the job and in our world, when God's righteousness arrives, when you establish God's righteousness in your life, what happens? God's people dwell in safety. Says they will not need to fear. They will not be afraid. They will not be broken or shattered. In other words, the, the word there is dismayed, but it means broken or shattered. When God's righteousness arrives, they won't be afraid. They won't be dismayed. And it says they will not be without an overseer. They will not be 
lacking when his righteousness is established. See, this is the byproduct of righteousness. What is the byproduct of righteousness? I would summarize it as saying peace is the byproduct of righteousness. Peace. Peace in your home is the byproduct of righteousness in your home. See, we live in an age, as Dr. Tony Evans calls it, he, he, he describes it as value clarification. A value clarification age where our values are constantly being changed. Our cultural values are, are shifting sand. And what we see through Scripture is that this is not something new. What you and I are living through is not something new. Judges would tell us in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And certainly we could say that about this day. We live in a day where values are determined by desire. Is that right? Values are determined by desire. What feels right is right. The problem is that this self-rightness we understand is destructive. It's destructive to the physical lives of humanity. It's the idea of war that says that I am right and I'll do whatever it takes to make my way happen. We have a war going on in Europe right now because somebody is just thinking it's their right. Their desire is superseding any sense of value for humanity. We live in a day that is so destructive. The, the sense of right is destroying families. It's de destructive to our emotions. It's destructive to our souls when we live in this self-righteous life. But peace comes from true righteousness. That's why Proverbs 14.34 says righteousness... Exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That righteousness, when it is established, will be, bring peace to our lives. And through Jeremiah, God wanted to reestablish his righteousness. He wanted to affirm that, that he, God, is the standard with which everything should be measured. I think the things that you and I allow or don't allow in our lives should be measured not by how we feel, but by the Word of God. And I think that's a powerful thing for us to allow God's righteousness, His Word, to be established in our lives. He is the bar, and He is the bar that separates right from wrong. His name is the name by which we distinguish good from bad. And so we want righteousness to prevail. So how can we be right with God? This righteousness is right standing with God. How can we be right with God? 
Jeremiah, we read it, 23.5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Well, who was the branch of righteousness? We know Jesus Christ was the branch of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do we become righteous? We take on Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. And in order for me to be right, not I, I'm not right because of my self-righteousness or because I'm doing what I want that is right. I'm righteous because Jesus Christ is making me right. So how does this happen? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. How am I right? I take on Jesus Christ. I wear Christ in the world. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. But verse 18, if you've got your Bible, turn there, highlight it, mark it up. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to, him, uh, to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's as if God is pleading through us when we are wearing his righteousness, when we are living his righteousness in the world, God is using that to reconcile the world to himself. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's powerful. And if you're in Christ, you are brand new. Your identity is in him. You are covered in his righteousness. You are not righteous and I am not righteous because of my own talent or my intellect or my wealth. That does not make us righteous. You are righteous because Jesus has made you righteous through his blood. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, for you see your calling brethren Watch now, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to push it put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. For, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us Wisdom from God. What is the wisdom from God? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. 
Paul here, when he says that, he's saying that we are in Christ and it's because of Christ's wisdom that we can be righteous. And he said, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Where did Paul get that phrase? He got it from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9, it says, verse 24, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the Lord, for in these I delight, says the Lord. When you are in Christ, you are covered in his righteousness. And that's a powerful thing. There are other passages I'm not going to read for sake of time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. I encourage you to read it. But Romans chapter 13 says, if we're in Christ, he says this, and do this knowing that the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep, but now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revel revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Let that not be the characteristics of your life. But he said, put, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Powerful thing when you and I can see God in his righteousness. And he covers us with his righteousness through Jesus Christ. And that is what the world should see. Finally tonight I'm going to introduce one more name we're going to consider and I'm going to hurry through it. We look at a story that's very familiar to all of us or most of us. It's the story that we read in Exodus of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And it's in this story that God reveals himself in a very specific way. And in some ways, to me, it's a little bit strange. He reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. You've seen the images, you've seen the movies, you've imagined it maybe, what it was like to cross the Red Sea. The sound of the water all of a sudden standing up as a wall. A leader with his staff in the air. And you see this image, this powerful image of God's miraculous ability. Hundreds of thousands of people waiting to get across this, anxious because they see an enemy coming after them or they're concerned about the enemy coming after them. And yet they, this massive crowd begins to cross over this dry land that once, just moments ago, was full of water. They cross over this Red Sea and that last individual steps onto that ground, turns around and they see the enemy now approaching on the other side. They come through that dry land, the enemy begins to come and you could imagine the anxiety watching that and all of a sudden that water that is a wall breaks 
It's as if a building's being torn down and that water crumbles on top of those people and washes that com army completely away. Imagine the, the euphoria of this people who had lived for decades and decades. They had known decades of oppression, decades of hatred, decades of abuse to watch the people who had abused them simply wiped away. And now they stand on the other side of a sea and they're looking across and now the water begins to become still. Can you imagine the relief? It's over. What a moment. And it's in this context that a song breaks out. They begin to sing, and I think it makes sense to us. And they begin to sing, the Bible says, uh, a, a song that uh, Moses begins, and it says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. I will sing to the Lord, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my song, and I will praise him. Can you imagine the crowd just singing? Maybe it was a repeat, and so they were learning this song on the fly, but there was something that was breaking out as they sung. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. They're singing Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. You, right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Can you imagine just the, the, the power of this song? They're, they're standing there on the banks of that sea and they're realizing that their enemy has been vanquished. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, is doing wonder? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in the strength uh, uh, to your holy habitation. For sake of time, I, I won't read. You can read the song goes all the way to verse 21 or verse 19. And then Miriam, the prophet, she joins in, and it's the sister of Aaron, and she took her timbrel in her hand, and all the women, and they began to just praise God and, and, and let the timbrel begin to make loud uh, music, and they began to dance, and she began to say, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown in the sea, and everybody starts to pick up. It's the first words that Moses would begin to sing. She begins to repeat and sing and dance and celebrate. What a rejoicing! What an emotional high! Confidence in God was off the charts. But they come through the water, 
onto dry ground. And then they realize this is really dry ground. They were promised Canaan, but to get to Canaan, it required them to walk through the wilderness. Sometimes that's the only way we get the promises of God fulfilled in our lives. The wilderness had no water. The Red Sea was more water than they could handle. And now they arrived in a wilderness where there is no water, and for three days they were without water. Sunday, they were rejoicing. By Wednesday, yikes. Y'all feel that, don't you? That just made a lot of sense to all of us. Man, Sunday was powerful. Wednesday, we're complaining. (laughs) This is stupid. But we read in Exodus 15, 22. They went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters, for they were bitter. They found water, but it was bitter. Well, what what point is that? The Bible says in 24, the people complained against Moses. What are we going to drink? But Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. So Moses takes the tree. I don't know how he cut it down, but he did, and throws it into the water. And the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance to them, and there he tested them. This is God tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and you do what's right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha. In that interesting spot, how it makes sense for his name to be revealed as the healer after somebody who was sick got up, somebody who was lame began to walk. But he introduces his name as the God who heals in this moment when they watched as the waters go from bitter to being whole. And so I find just an interesting principle as we close out this name. And it's the revelation that Healing is not just about being sick and then being healed, but God is revealing something to them here. Because this idea of healing is about protection, protection from something, something that the Egyptians faced, something the Egyptians faced because of their rebellion against God. Ten plagues we know that the Egyptians faced, and certainly they faced some ailments because of their hardening of their heart. But what I see here is a protection that came as a result of obedience. 
And so this protection was not just a protection of their, for the sake of their physical bodies, but it was a protection from the consequence of rebellion and sin. Those plagues, God said, can't touch the people of God who are obedient to his word and to his will. The consequence of rebellion that the Egyptians faced, the diseases that they faced, could not touch the children of God if they were obedient to his word. And this is why I believe that God, God's work of healing physically in our lives is not just about the convenience of our healing. I know, and many of you know, what it's like to be healed in your body. You know what it's like. You've known somebody. You've watched somebody be healed by the power of God. But I do not believe that healing physically is just so we can have a more convenient life. But healing in our life, God shows up as Jehovah Rapha in our lives because he wants to declare something. He wants us to know that if he can heal our body, he can heal our soul. And that any consequence that the enemy or rebellion has brought in our lives, he has the power and he has dominion over it. That's why Paul would say, where is your sting, death? That's the consequence of sin. That's what comes from a life lived in rebellion. And Paul said, you know what? No, he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the healer. He can take care of any consequence that sin has established in our lives. And the consequence of sin doesn't touch the believer. Oh, hallelujah. And so physical healing, we know, doesn't save us. But it simply brings us faith to believe in a God that is a Savior. I love that Exodus 15, 25. It says that when they got to Mara, they got to that water. And they cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed Moses a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And that's when he established his name. Can I tell us and remind us that Jesus became our healer on a tree. And the work of the cross allows us to experience the fresh waters of his presence through the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Lives that were mara, lives that were bitter can be made whole. Hatred is replaced by love because of the tree. Anxiety is replaced by peace because of the tree. Poison is replaced by healing because of the tree. Oh, hallelujah. Pardon my Sunday morning preach. Isaiah chapter 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. This passage is pointing us to the work of the cross. That he is our healer. Not just a physical healer, but he saves us from the consequences of sin. 
with his stripes, we are healed. And so that's why when we pray for physical healing, what are we simply praying? We're praying for the glory of God to be manifested among us. Healing should glorify God. It should never glorify the person praying for somebody. It doesn't glorify the person being healed. Healing, physical healing glorifies God. Why? Because it points to him as not just somebody who can take care of the physical, but somebody who can take care of the sin problem in our lives. I don't have time. Mark 2, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 4 through 12 talks about the man, man who was lowered down to Jesus as he sat there. And what did he say before he ever healed him? Your sins are forgiven. Why did he say that? Because he wanted them to understand. I'm not here just to give a physical healing. I've come to earth to forgive people of their sin. I've come to heal them of their sin. I've become Jehovah Rapha. And James said, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders and let them pray over him, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. God's healing power in our life is to bring glory to his name. And when he is glorified, people will put their faith in him. And the diseases of Egypt will not come upon the people of God. O death, where's your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is my healer. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to close, and I went over time. Kristen will give it to you next week. But I want you to tell somebody a story of a time, and we're going to do this briefly. It's going to be two minutes. Tell of a story where you were healed or somebody you know was healed. I want you to quickly tell them and how did it impact your faith? You got two minutes. Go.
All right, well, why don't you stand tonight? Hopefully you got to share your story, or hopefully you can share it maybe afterwards. But there's power in knowing that God can heal our physical body. And I'm aware of a significant healing in somebody I'm very close to that uh, uh, I'm going to share or they're going to share at some point. And I thank God for the confidence that I can have in knowing that God is a healer. I don't think we should ever stop praying and believing for healings in our life. And if God heals your body, you need to tell it to the rooftop. Sing it on the mountaintop. Tell people that God is a healer. Why? Because if he can heal our physical body, he can heal our soul. We can be saved from the diseases of Egypt. They can't touch us. Oh, hallelujah. I want to pray. Lord God, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are in our lives. Lord, over these last seven weeks, God, we've just watched over and over how you have such amazing things in store for us. You are revealing yourself to us. And I pray, God, that it would be more than just something we read about, something we hear about in Growth University. But I'm praying truly, God, for a manifestation of your spirit manifestation of your name among us, Lord. We're believing for healing. We're believing, God, for your power to move among us. We're believing, God, that you will do the miraculous among us. God, give us confidence today. Let our faith be high, Lord, because we know that you are able. In the name of Jesus, bring us back on Sunday, if it's your will, Lord, I pray that you would use us in between then to declare your glory among our neighbors. And This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.